Thanks for joining us for the second episode of our series, Reproductive Health Equity in Pharmacy Practice. Over the course of four episodes, we'll be covering a range of reproductive health topics alongside pharmacists, activists, and community members across the nation. I'm Brianna Luna, a college student and community researcher for Central Valley Voices for Access. We're an academic-centered research team focused on expanding access to family planning care in Central Valley pharmacies and removing the stigma around reproductive health. You can learn more about us on our Instagram page at Central Valley Voices for Access. I am joined by Dr. Sally Raffi, who is a pharmacist specialist at UC San Diego Health and founder of Birth Control Pharmacist. Dr. Raffi has a long record of research and advocacy in the field of reproductive health. In this episode, we'll be discussing reproductive justice. Our first guest is Kajua Lohr. We will also be joined by Jen Chow of the ACLU of Northern California and Christina Madison. We're happy to introduce Kajua Lohr. What does reproductive justice mean to you as a pharmacist? How do you um, incorporate this into your work and make sure that you are able to be as accessible as possible to your community members? Um, I definitely will say I'm not a historian, but from one, my understanding of reproductive justice is it's to ensure um, women have access to the services that they need. Um, it's not just about having a decision, but also um, the access to contraception or the access to safe um, sex education, uh, to even just having access to healthcare in general as well. Um, and so that's kind of what my understanding is around reproductive justice. It sounds like it's a, I do a lot of work around intersectionality of various identities and how um, that impacts a patient's care. And, and I, I feel like reproductive justice is, is similar in that aspect, uh, but it's related to um, basically having babies or, or not having babies. Um, and so that's kind of what my understanding of what reproductive justice is so reproductive justice, I would say, is something that I, as a student pharmacist, was kind of involved with um, looking at oral contraceptives and the use of oral contraceptives and learning about it. But when I was a resident pharmacist, that kind of was my first kind of introduction to um, for example, Plan B coming out and emergency contraception. And I think for me, the thing that reminded me of it, but like reproductive justice in general, is that I had a pharmacist that was working alongside me and they refused to dispense uh, plan B to a patient. Um, and at that time I was feeling like, I can't, like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> um, and then if you think about it though, uh, from the patient perspective, they've spent so much time there, they're coming to the pharmacy and for, a pharmacist not to be able to provide that service for a patient, it could just lead, uh, lead to many inequities in, in health for uh, the patient. And I think that's where I feel like pharmacists can definitely take a step in that direction to ensure there's equal access to all medications, especially for plan B in this case for um, this patient. So that's kind of the, my first like interaction with, um, or thinking of pharmacy, how we could kind of incorporate our, our uh, care for patients. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. You mentioned about working 
um, at a pharmacist that um, catered to Spanish speaking populations and that like you really wanted to speak more about like the intersectionality of identities in your work. Can you tell us a little bit of like um, what you learned from that experience? Did it change like the way that you like wanted to do your practice as a student? Yeah, so I speak three languages. Um, so I speak Hmong, uh, English, obviously, and then um, Spanish. And so what I've learned is that language connects people. And if you don't speak the language, it can lead to social isolation, not feeling as connected with health um, as well as the community. And so a lot of the work that I've done in primary care is around um, providing medication access for patients. Um, in my previous uh, role as a primary care pharmacist and kind of the only pharmacist within that clinic, um, we had to make sure patients had access to not only the most affordable, but also the most effective and right safe medications as well. And so um, I think what I can think of is that I just, as a patient coming in, to a clinic, even if it's a safety net clinic where the there's like, in this case, it was a majority, mainly most folks spoke Spanish. Um, but I feel like if you were to come into a clinic that didn't speak the language or had the translation um, and language and health literacy around it, even explaining how plan B works uh, or how an oral contraceptive works, uh, and explaining in a way that patients understand so they feel their um, their health is at the, the best that it can be. I feel like that's one of the things that I really want to ensure patients are getting the equal access to those medications that um, are available to them. And I, I, I feel like that's where I'm trying to get at that intersectionality, meaning that various identities, whether it be a person of color, to socioeconomic status, to um, identity, LGBTQ, or any other identity, um, all of those compounding against each other, it can truly impact a patient feeling like they belong when they come into a healthcare system or a pharmacy. Um, and so that's why I feel like it's just really important to ensure all, all our patients feel welcome. Um, in the pharmacy or the healthcare system that they're going to. I'm actually on a project right now around, it's called Invisible Identities. And this is a project from actually one of our medical students, Bill Wong. And the whole purpose around it, it's around intersectionality of identities and how to take a sexual history for a Hmong LGBTQ uh, patient and uh, looking at the intersectionality of these identities. So uh, we just created a case about a patient that's coming in um, to get birth control and um, they identify as, um, as lesbian. Um, and so what was the key word that impacted that patient? It's, um, so they ask the pharmacist or provider would ask, um, are you uh, taking birth control? And if the patient says yes, then the next question was, uh, do you have a boyfriend? So assuming that the patient's taking their oral contraceptive for uh, birth control when they actually identify as uh, lesbian. So they 
they aren't going to be doing anything related to that. Um, but then also just the assumption that's made about why they're using birth control. So is it for acne, right? Maybe the patient's using it for acne. Um, and then the assumptions made by the provider in that case. So it's to create a cultural humility, you know, training around um, providing cultural humility for patients um, and not making assumptions um, and making sure that they understand their own biases when taking a sexual history. So I think it's just been uh, quite a great experience to be a part of, uh, to just learn about um, LGBTQ experiences in healthcare. Um, and then also what assumptions um, pharmacists or providers might be making or asking. Um, I remember a story of a, one of our uh, LGBTQ stakeholders shared around birth control and um, they identified as queer and they had to pee in a cup every time they went to get their birth control um, refilled. And they couldn't understand why peeing in the cup meaning they had to get a negative pregnancy test. And sh she just couldn't understand why that was a requirement, right? For her to do that in that situation when she does, doesn't, like she identified as queer. So it just was very interesting to hear her experience because those are the assumptions that are made, right? Or in this case, was the negative pregnancy test needed for you know, the medication to be dispensed, you know, or, or even prescribed in this case at the provider's office. So just thinking about those experiences, it just really um, makes uh, me think about what ways we can, we as pharmacists can be involved in this work um, and to improve like the access for patients and to ensure they don't have those barriers, but also ensuring we also are, um, you know, don't have our own biases against, like, for example, in this case, LGBTQ um, patients. I think there's so much we can learn from that particular patient's unfortunate experience. Obviously, no patients should be having to provide a negative pregnancy test every time they refill their birth control, let alone that particular individual. So uh, thank you for sharing that. Now introducing Jen Chow. Hi, I'm Jen Chow. I am an attorney with the ACLU of Northern California in our Fresno office. I'm on our gender, sexuality, and reproductive justice team. And the focus of my work is to expand um, access to reproductive health care in the Central Valley. What do you think pharmacists could do to solidify their role as credible health care providers within their communities? I mean, I think it's just yet another example of um, how important the role of even just an individual healthcare provider can be um, because, you know, in the case of the, the young women um, who are involved in, in, our, in our lawsuit against the Office of, of Refugee Resettlement, um, you know, those were people who, and, and in the case of, of like many of the young people who go to pharmacies in the Central Valley, um, you know, sometimes it takes a lot to get there. Um, you know, the, you need a secure transportation, you need to secure the funds, um, 
maybe it's the only time you can go, you know, all week. Maybe it's the only time you can go all month. And so, you know, the pharmacist that you happen to interact with that day can really have a big say in whether or not you're able to get the care you need at the time and place that, at the only time and place where you're able to get it. Is there anything within your work um, that you have learned about the Central Valley um, that is different when you think about the work that you've done um, in other cities? Or, like, did any of your... um, Did your view towards reproductive health change when you focused on the Central Valley? Yeah, I mean... One of the really unique things about um, being in the Valley is that you realize that sometimes the narrative that California likes to tell about itself doesn't actually match the lived experiences of many Californians. Um, And I think that's so true for the reproductive rights, health, and justice community. Um, You know, I think... A lot of times we really like to pat ourselves on the back for California being a very progressive place. It has, you know, among the most progressive laws in the country. Um, But again, I think, you know, it's really important that we make sure we're focusing the conversation not just about what laws we can get passed at the Capitol, um, you know, But it's really important that we think about then what does it actually look like for people and communities on the ground to make that law a reality in their own backyard. Um, Because sometimes it's not just as simple as, you know, getting the governor to sign off a piece of legislation, right? Then there's all the hard work of making sure that the folks who are charged with enforcing the legislation are aware of it, that they understand that it's their duty to enforce the law, that they're given the resources to enforce the law, that the community knows that this is their right, um, that they're supported in accessing that right, um, and in holding their, you know, government officials or their stakeholders accountable. Um, You know, I think all that nitty-gritty of what it takes to actually, you know, benefit from the laws that we pass, um, that has been one of the clearest things that has come out of this work for me, is that it's not enough to just have shiny headlines. Um, We have to think about this work um, beyond that and all the way down to... um, you know, what does it look like five, ten years from now for those people who are supposedly actually supposed to be impacted by these changes? The code to claim credit for the CPE program is RX624. That's RX624. RX624. 
Christina, thanks so much for being with us to talk about reproductive justice today. Could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and uh, why this topic resonates with you? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sally, for having me today. So, you know, first and foremost, I think as a woman and a woman of color, uh, when we think about, uh, you know, reproductive health and reproductive rights, uh, I think just coming from that space and also being a healthcare professional, um, working as a clinical pharmacist now for um, this will be my 17th year as being a pharmacist. Oh, it sounds scary to sound out, say out loud. Um, but post-training um, and working primarily in the public health space for the last 15 years, it is definitely something that I've seen um, as sort of our, our legislative uh, actions have kind of either put it in the spotlight, either because of, uh, you know, barriers to access and those barriers being um, increased in some states and then in other states um, allowing pharmacists to be able to provide contraceptive services which help with some of those barriers to care. It's been really interesting to see sort of, um, you know, interesting as well as unfortunate that your reproductive health is really based on, you know, not just who you are but where you live and it's it's been very uh, challenging to, um, to see, um, and especially in the last, I would say, five to six years, um, we've definitely seen a lot more pressure being brought to bear um, in, as far as reproductive health and reproductive rights, um, especially as you see more and more states uh, looking at limiting um, access to things like abortion, um, as well as contraceptive services, and then, you know, denying funding to places like Planned Parenthood, which have traditionally been a safe haven for women who didn't have access to reproductive health services. So, uh, again, to answer your first question, uh, a little bit more about myself, I think I kind of dived into our topic a, a little too quickly. Uh, so I um, am currently an associate professor of pharmacy practice with Roseman University of Health Sciences. I've been faculty there for uh, about 14 years. Um, the first part of my um, stint in academia was primarily in uh, it being embedded in a public health department. And so I provided a lot of reproductive services, a lot of contraception, a lot of family planning services while I was at the public health department um, in our county. And then about three years ago, I transitioned to a family medicine clinic where we cater to the LGBTQ community and we're one of the largest providers of HIV prevention and gender affirming care in the state of Nevada. So, um, and then uh, in 2019, I started a consulting uh, firm called The Public Health Pharmacist, which is a full service uh, public health consulting firm um, providing education, uh, media, PR, marketing, um, education, and um, keynote speaking as well as just uh, general information and knowledge about public health and why we should be prioritizing it, why it matters, and why pharmacists are an unsung and uh, underutilized uh, portion of the healthcare system. It's been so great to see more of your services and perspectives, you know, out in the pharmacy literature and in the conversations. Uh, so it's been really exciting to follow along everything that's going on with public health pharmacists. Um, thinking about reproductive justice, um, you know, you kind of touched on it very briefly. 
I first became familiar with this concept, um, you know, some years back, but I don't think it's something that most pharmacists and other folks in the pharmacy field have heard of. Uh, so I just want to provide an introduction to the concept here and just start to think about how we can apply some of the principles uh, to our practices. And the, the term itself was originally defined by Sister Song as the human right to maintain personal bodily autonomy, have children, not have children, and parent the children we have in safe and sustainable communities. So it's a bit different than reproductive health or reproductive rights, but of course they're all related, right? Um, Absolutely. And, yeah. yeah. No, I was just going to say, uh, you know, having uh having agency over one's body um, seems like it would be uh, easy, uh, but there are many times where women, unfortunately, um, do not feel agency over themselves or their body or their ability to make their own choices. And so I think uh, having more pharmacists in particular, as we see the expansion of uh, contraceptive services led by pharmacists uh, in, you know, increasing across the country, that they really do need to understand this concept of reproductive justice and that every woman um, has the right to make these decisions and have autonomy and have agency over their bodies and that someone else should not be making those decisions on their behalf. Absolutely. So how do you think pharmacists can really carry that that principle into their contraceptive counseling, for example, or other services that we're providing and how we talk to patients. Of course, within the, the confines of the policies, you know, not every state allows pharmacists to directly prescribe birth control or, or do provide some direct access services, but what can we do? How can we incorporate this into our work? I think the first thing is just being more knowledgeable about women's health um, and just gender-based health um, and, and reproductive health, right? So that's the first thing that we can do is just be more knowledgeable about that. And then finding out uh, what services are available for, um, you know, women's health and reproductive health in your area. And if you happen to live somewhere where there is a lack of access to some of those services, then you should avail yourself to making sure that you know what services are available and then to try to help increase access um, to those um, points where people can get things like contraceptive services, information about uh, where they can get condoms, where they can get uh, you know, pregnancy tests, um, you know, how they can, uh, again, have, uh, you know, rights over their body and their agency and, and just having an open and honest conversation about sexual health, right? Um, I think that's something that oftentimes pharmacists uh, feel uncomfortable having those kinds of conversations, but, um, you know, wanting people to understand that your sexual health is related to your overall health, whether you're having it or you're not having it, um, you know, both of those instances, you know, we need to find out what's going on um, so that we can make sure that you're, you know, that you're enjoying it safely. Um, and, and that you're not in distress and that you're not in an abusive relationship, you know, understanding, um, you know, that unfortunately um, sex can be something that can be weaponized against women, um, you know, having a child um, or not having a child can be weaponized against someone, um, you know, they could be a victim of human trafficking. There's all 
kinds of things that we can be more knowledgeable about and be more of a resource for our patients. Um, so it's not just contraceptive services, but really just diving into sexual health and, and how are people uh, feeling safe when they're, you know, having a new sexual partner and, you know, what are the expectations from that sexual partner and what are, what are their ultimate, you know, goals? Do they want to be a parent? Do they not want to be a parent? Uh, you know, obviously these are difficult conversations to have, but I think that it's something that we as pharmacists need to be more comfortable with. Um, and if we see someone that is obviously struggling either with getting access to contraceptive services or access to sexual health services, we need to be more of a resource. Yeah, that's really great. You know, there's going to be a lot of restrictions in terms of policies or, you know, various practice restrictions, depending on, you know, if our pharmacists are working for a Catholic hospital, for example, on what can be discussed, but really um, being a resource for our patients and, and facilitating whatever it is that they want is how I sort of think about it. And uh, one thing in particular with contraceptive counseling, and I'd love to hear if you have any like patient anecdotes because you do work with such a unique patient population there in Nevada. Uh, but one thing I think about with contraceptive counseling is, you know, we have to really think through if we have any individual biases or thoughts, you know, as an individual, you know, as a pharmacist, do I have certain thoughts about who should or shouldn't be having children? Um, and, you know, of course, you know, I, I personally don't, but I think that it's important for all of us to explore that because it could be there. Um, and that's something that we can work with, right. Rather than pretend it doesn't exist. So we need to explore those feelings about what we, what contraceptive method we think someone should be using or who we think their partner should be, or if they should be having, you know, thinking through all that and then actively working with that to, set those biases aside and provide care in a way that is just facilitating what the patient wants and not introducing what we think we want for that individual patient. Right. No, so I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's funny. I, I was just, um, you know, on a, on a call the other day and, and we we're just happened to talk about, you know, uh, infection rates and in particular STD infection rates and how it completely disproportionately impacts women of color and, uh, and why that is. And, you know, I was, I was talking, you know, with the person that was uh, interviewing me and I said, you know, oftentimes we think that it's somehow related to the person and their biology. And we know that that's not the case, right? It's not just who you are or who you love. It's where you live. Right. And if you are already marginalized because of, you know, socioeconomic status and already, you know, being uh, stigmatized because of your race, your gender, and then where you live, uh, you know, do you think you're really going to be able to get access to these services? And the answer to that question, unfortunately, is no. And it's, it's not, there's, there's no one specific thing about me as a black woman that means that I should have, you know, STD rates that are five times more likely than my Caucasian counterpart. There's nothing that says that that's part of my biology, right? So why is this happening? And we know that because of things like implicit biases uh, and you know a lot of 
racism and practices that are part of our healthcare system and unfortunately are embedded in our healthcare system, it puts up these these barriers to care. And then those barriers then lead to people waiting to get services. Um, And so then when they do get access, they're sicker and then they have more issues. And then we have challenges with things like fertility long-term, right? Because of untreated STIs, um, pelvic inflammatory diseases. Uh, You know, there's all these things that you wouldn't think that, you know, racism by itself uh, is, is a predictor of poor health outcomes, but it's every time you have somebody dealing with these you know, microaggressions and, and mini traumas, it's an acute and then chronic, uh, you know, process that leads to a lot of these health disparities. And, you know, I, I appreciate you bringing up, you know, some of these implicit biases. And even as another woman of color, I think we even have our own implicit biases and it's unfortunate. Um, and it may stand from, you know, ways that we've been treated in the past. Uh, I mean, I can tell you uh, many examples of, you know, ways that I feel like I've been mistreated by the healthcare system, even after I've had a doctorate and been a, you know, part of the healthcare profession and even being able to advocate for myself and understanding the medical terminology, I, I was still discriminated against. And I wonder oftentimes, you know, even having that privilege, and it really is a privilege, you know, how others navigate through our healthcare system that is undoubtedly stacked against them and does not want to provide them with care and does not want to provide them with resources. So how do we overcome those things? And I think the first step is addressing that it is a real problem and that racism is a public health threat and that we need to, we need to fix it. And until we can get consensus that it is a problem, uh, I think, unfortunately, we're going to continue to make the same mistakes. Yeah, that's just, I'm so sorry to hear, of course, that you've had these experiences. And it just, it just demonstrates that our patients are experiencing that and so much more. And we know from the data around, you know, Black mothers, mortality, that education is not a confounder. It has, you know, it's, it's separate of that. It's simply because of skin color. I mean, it really is just, just that, and people are being treated differently. And um, it's going to take a lot of work for us to get to the place where we are treating people with dignity and respect and reproductive justice and, and all those things. Um, so this is just the start of, of that journey, probably for many, or, you know, hopefully there's been some work done, but uh, just even tuning in to, to hear about this and, and to think about it is, is a step in the right direction. Yeah, we're not, definitely not going to dismantle, you know, uh, you know, a hundred years of <laughs> systemic racism and injustice, but we can at least bring attention to it and try to yeah. make people understand that it, it, it is definitely still a problem. Thank you for tuning into the 
this important conversation. We hope you'll join us for future episodes. Pharmacists who would like continuing pharmacy education credit for participating in this program, please return to the podcast page on birthcontrolpharmacist.com to claim your credit.